Welcome to Crime, Corruption, and Cocktails, the true crime podcast where we look at cases of corruption and negligence and examine their historical and cultural implications. Today, I'm drinking a green apple martini. What are you having, Jenny? I'm drinking a cranberry vodka. On this week's episode, we're exploring the case of the boys on the tracks. Our case begins on the night of Saturday, August 22nd, 1987 in Saline County, Arkansas. Best friends, 16-year-old Don Henry and 17-year-old Kevin Ives were hanging out at Don's house when they decided to go spotlighting, which is an illegal form of night hunting. Don spoke to his father, Curtis, before leaving home with Kevin around midnight and they went into the woods. Their usual hunting route was by a nearby train track. The boys did not return home and their parents began searching for them the next morning. Around 4 a.m. on Sunday, August 23rd, a Union Pacific locomotive was traveling in Alexander, Arkansas. The train's crew spotted the two boys lying still between the tracks, wrapped in a green tarp with a gun near their bodies. According to an episode of Unsolved Mysteries, the boys were, quote, lying exactly parallel on the train tracks. Their legs were across the rails, their torsos were between the tracks, and their arms were straight down by their sides, end quote. Alarmed, the crew blew the train's horn and put the train into its emergency stop position. Unfortunately, the train, which was traveling at 52 miles per hour, hit the boys' bodies. Once the train came to a stop, the crew called the Benton, Arkansas authorities, who arrived around 4.40 a.m. State and local police began investigating and believed the crime to be a suicide, which the train crew objected to. They knew the bodies on the track were dead before the train hit them, especially since the train blared its horn and the boys still didn't move. The train's engineer, Stephen Schroyer, claimed it looked like the boys had been placed on the tracks. The police could not find the tarp that the crew saw, but they did find a broken 22 caliber rifle. On Monday, August 24th, the families of Kevin and Don were told that their sons had been the boys found dead on the tracks. Kevin and Don were identified through dental records. The Arkansas State Medical Examiner, Dr. Fami Malik, ruled the boys' deaths as accidental. Dr. Malik claimed their deaths stemmed from, quote, being under the influence of marijuana, end quote. He stated that the boys smoked so much marijuana, 20 marijuana cigarettes to be exact, that they were both in a drug-induced coma at the time of their death and were unable to move or hear the train coming. Authorities supported Dr. Malik's findings. And Saline County Sheriff James Steed Jr. repeatedly told the Benton Courier that there was nothing at the tracks that night to suggest that it was nothing more than a quote-unquote strange accident. Both boys' parents were shocked and did not accept Dr. Malik's findings. Kevin's parents could not remember even seeing their son quote-unquote spaced out on drugs, nor did they see any signs that he was even involved in drugs. Don's father, Curtis, had the train's sound checked and found that it was 98 decibels, which is equal to the sound of a jackhammer. He couldn't believe anyone would sleep through that loud of a noise. The families hired a private investigator, but authorities were difficult to work with and not forthcoming with information. Five months after the boys' deaths, the families held a press conference to pressure the police, and the following day the case was reopened. The boys' bodies were exhumed and a second autopsy was performed by a new doctor, which provided different results than Dr. Mallet's. The new autopsy showed that the boys had smoked two to three marijuana cigarettes between them, a fact which friends who had been with the boys earlier in the night confirmed. Medical experts 
said it was very unlikely that someone would pass out from smoking marijuana. The doctor found evidence that showed one of the boys was already dead and the other unconscious when they were hit by the train. Further, they found that Dr. Malik did not follow quote-unquote proper procedures while performing his initial autopsy. Because of this evidence, a grand jury ruled Don and Kevin's deaths as quote-unquote probable homicides. Malik was accused by his own staff of keeping, quote, outdated crime lab stationary, end quote, on which he allegedly falsified findings in autopsy reports just before certain cases went to court. The investigation continued, and the newly appointed prosecutor, Richard Garrett, looked into the existence of the green tarp, which was partially covering the boys' bodies. All four individuals in the train crew were adamant that they saw a green tarp, but the police who arrived after the 911 call on August 23rd claimed the conductor Stroyer never mentioned a tarp. Garrett believes the train crew, but this green tarp has never been located. Several weeks after the case was reopened, Garrett learned of an eerily similar case. In Hogden, Oklahoma, two young men lying together on railroad tracks had been run over by a train in 1984. They were lying motionless on the tracks in a position nearly identical to Kevin and Don. However, a connection between these cases has never been found. Garrett also discovered that just a week before Kevin and Don were killed, an unidentified man wearing military fatigues was spotted near the railroad tracks. He was behaving suspiciously and police officer Danny Allen stopped to question him. The man opened fire on Allen but was never found. On the night of the boys' deaths, witnesses claimed they saw the man in military fatigues leaving town, heading down a road less than 200 yards from the spot where Kevin and Don were later hit. Police have never been able to locate or identify this mysterious man. In June 1988, an area man came forward claiming that on the night of the murders, he saw two police officers quote-unquote beating two boys senseless in a store parking lot before tossing them in a police car and driving away. The officials later returned to the scene without the boys. No one knows if those boys were actually Kevin and Don. Yet another autopsy was conducted in 1988 and found more shocking evidence. A pathologist found a stab wound in Don's back and a wound to Kevin's cheek. He also determined that tears in Don's t-shirt fabric indicated that he had been stabbed in the back with a large knife. Kevin had apparently been struck in the head with a rifle butt, possibly Don's, because a wound to his cheek matched the shape of the rifle butt. Congestion was also found in the boys' lungs, which indicated that they had been hurt before being hit by the train. Because of this, the grand jury ruled the boys' deaths a quote-unquote definite homicide. Later that year, the grand jury shared their final report on the case, which stated the boys died due to foul play. They urged authorities to keep investigating the murder and the local drug problem, which we'll explore when we get into our theories. Despite the grand jury's announcement, Sheriff Steed refused to allow any funds to aid in the investigation. Steed had also lied about where he had sent the boys' clothing for examination. According to Mara Leverett, Steed sent the clothes to the Arkansas State Crime Lab, not to the FBI like he was supposed to have done. In 1990, Don and Kevin's deaths were officially changed to homicide, and in 1995, their case investigation was officially closed. Over 30 years later, this case is still not anywhere close to being solved. 
Prosecutor Garrett began carrying a gun after getting involved with this case, fearing that his life was in danger. Both Don and Kevin's parents worked tirelessly to find the truth about what happened to their sons during that early summer morning. Unfortunately, several key players in this investigation have now passed away. Garrett died in October 2018 at the age of 72. In June of 2021, Linda Ives, Kevin's mother, passed away at the age of 71, and in August 2021, Kevin's sister Alicia passed away at the age of 51. So let's get into the biggest theory that people have when it comes to this case, which is drug trafficking. Both Kevin and Don's family think the boys were murdered for being at the wrong place at the wrong time. Shortly after the boys' deaths, rumors began spreading that they were killed for stumbling onto a drug deal. Police also speculated that this was the case because several witnesses who testified before the grand jury were charged with drug trafficking and other offenses. However, no suspects were identified. It's worth noting that many people asked to testify in this case have disappeared or died. After the popular TV show Unsolved Mysteries aired a segment on this case, anonymous tips came into their call center suggesting that Kevin and Don were murdered by drug traffickers when they accidentally walked in on the middle of a quote-unquote drug drop. During a follow-up interview on the show, Garrett said that drug trafficking was present in the town of Bryant and in Saline County. He said this drug trafficking was connected to other counties and states. Garrett believes that Kevin and Don stumbled on either drug traffickers or a drug lab that manufactured methamphetamine and that they were killed as a result. He believes that others were involved or have knowledge of who was involved. He also suspects that there was some sort of police cover-up involved in the case that was either inadvertent or deliberate. In 2016, Linda Ives sued to obtain records from several federal agencies in relation to her son's death. She did so because she felt that her son's death was related to a drug trafficking ring involving notorious Arkansas smuggler Barry Sills. The DEA was told to share parts of these files, but she didn't find anything useful. Barry Sill was a commercial airline pilot who became a drug smuggler for the Medellin cartel and worked out of the nearby Mena Airport. He helped smuggle large amounts of cocaine from Colombia. Sill was murdered in February 1986 in Louisiana after allegedly crossing notorious drug kingpin Pablo Escobar in a Medellin cartel. In 1996, Linda and film producer Patrick Matriciana released a documentary titled Obstruction of Justice, which focused on the mishandling of her son's death. It also explored an alleged drug ring in Saline County, which ran out of Mena Airport and was covered up by the police. The film alleged that Kevin and Don were killed after they accidentally witnessed a clandestine drug deal that involved top state officials, sheriffs, deputies, Jay Campbell, and Kurt Lane were alleged to be the killers, but many others, including then-Governor Bill Clinton, were named as a part of this conspiracy. It was alleged that Campbell and Lane were the officers seen beating the two boys in the store parking lot. They denied any involvement in the case and successfully sued Matriciana for libel. The jury said the filmmaker showed a, quote, reckless disregard for the truth, end quote. Former Saline County prosecuting attorney Dan Harmon investigated the case and presented evidence to the grand jury. He later served time in prison on federal drug and racketeering charges. 
Campbell and Lane were involved in investigating Harmon. They believed that he found out about their investigation and named them as suspects in order to taint their credibility and hinder their investigation into him. Linda Ives trusted Harmon, but later came to believe he was involved with her son's death. An ex-girlfriend of Harmon's reportedly told an investigator that he and two other men were responsible for the murders. However, he had never been charged in the case or officially labeled as a suspect. This ex-girlfriend at first claimed that she was present during the murders and that she, quote-unquote, lightly stabbed one of the boys while the other people present cheered her on. In 2018, former professional wrestler Billy Jack Haynes came forward saying he was present at the time of the boys' deaths. Haynes claimed that he had been hired as security for Arkansas drug drops. According to Haynes, the cops involved in the drop ran after the boys and beat them with flashlights and that Kevin's head was split from getting hit with the butt of a rifle. He said the boys were just accidental witnesses, but the police involved wanted to leave no witnesses. Haynes admitted to helping place the boys' bodies on the tracks. Haynes told a radio talk show that he had worn a mask during the incident and that he has video of the train hitting the boys. According to ABC7 News, Haynes also said a third teenager on a motorcycle was with them. This teenager got away, but mysteriously died nine months later. And despite Billy Jack Haynes' claims, many question his credibility. So Del, after all of that, what are your thoughts on the case and what do you think truly happened to Don and Kevin? I think that this case is a classic example of so much corruption that it eliminates justice. I think that these boys were murdered because they came upon a drug trafficking ring and that the police were definitely involved. And I think that the police elicited the assistance of the medical examiner. I think that it's absolutely disgusting that the parents had to fight so hard just to get additional information on what happened to their children. And I do think that it's one of those cases that won't be solved officially. Like, I don't think that we would ever see this in court, but I'm hoping that we get some sort of deathbed confession from someone that has a guilty conscience so that we can finally understand exactly what happened to them in a more conclusive way than we have now. I don't know if I believe that there's like this whole conspiracy that goes all the way up to Bill Clinton, but I do think that it was at least some sort of complacency with the higher echelons of law enforcement that allowed this to continue. And the fact that the Colombian cartels were involved, there was definitely a lot of violence and a lot of money that was being exchanged in these deals. So I think that it would be really interesting to investigate the finances of these officers to see who was living beyond their means. What do you think? I completely agree. I think the boys were definitely murdered. And I think it's pretty clear that the police were involved somehow. I think it's going to be a case of we know it was someone in this group, but we can't pin it on who exactly it was. Because it seems like everyone has some type of story. And it's hard to know who to believe. This is really the most talked about theory. And maybe that doesn't necessarily make it what's right. But if the prosecuting attorney was believing that, and if tons of people were calling in to Unsolved Mysteries to say, hey, I think like this is what I've heard on the street. It was, you know, it was a town rumor 
that this was going on. So I think it's pretty obvious that it was a drug drop. And for anyone that doesn't know, a drug drop is just when drugs or money or something gets dropped from a plane into like an open space and then people involved go and pick it up. So again, that's where that airport connection comes in. There was a clear drug problem going on in this area of Arkansas. I've heard people say, well, did the boys know that this was a drug drop area and then they went to take the drugs or the money? But I don't think it was that. I think they had no intention of going there for drugs. Like you said, the corruption definitely goes deep and we'll talk about that a little more in a second. So many people found Dr. Malik's claim strange and found his work in this case to be very unprofessional. With the theory of a police cover-up, Theorists believe Dr. Malik could have been another party involved in a potential cover-up. So one thing that we wanted to make clear is that there is a difference between coroners and medical examiners. Coroners are elected and they do not have any professional training. On the other hand, medical examiners are appointed and have a board certification in pathology. The qualifications of those who oversee death investigations vary widely from state to state and in some areas from county to county. In 2017, San Joaquin County Chief Forensic Pathologist Dr. Bennett Omalu resigned after the release of memos alleging Sheriff Coroner Steve Moore interfered with death investigations to protect law enforcement officers. Dr. Amalu's colleague, Dr. Susan Parson, accused Moore of trying to influence their medical findings, especially in cases where officers were involved in a person's death. Dr. Omalu wrote in one of the memos, quote, the sheriff does whatever he feels like doing as the coroner in total disregard of bioethics, standards of practice of medicine, and the generally accepted principles of medicine, end quote. In October 2021, researchers from the University of Washington found that due to clerical errors and quote-unquote major conflicts of interest, medical examiners underreported the number of police killings in the U.S. between 1980 to 2018 in a federal database. Medical examiners and coroners may face pressure to underreport police killings because many of them, quote, work for or are embedded within police departments, end quote. A National Academy of Sciences report stated, quote, sensitive cases such as police shootings and police encounter deaths require an unbiased death investigation that is clearly independent of law enforcement, end quote. Some medical examiners have also been accused of providing cover for police during criminal trials. As early as 1857, a committee of the American Medical Association recommended replacing elected coroners with court-appointed medical officials. In 1928, the National Academy of Sciences called for giving the medical duties of the coroner's office over to the medical examiner's office, which the organization further argued should be headed by a pathologist. In 2009, the NAS, or the National Academy of Sciences, claimed the need to move toward a medical examiner system. However, as of May 2021, a report from the CDC showed just 16 states in Washington, D.C. have centralized medical examiner systems. So, Del, how do you think the coroner or medical examiner system could be improved? I think that there's multiple things that we would need to do to improve the autopsy system as a whole. 
One is completely eliminating elected coroners. I'm not sure why you would have an elected official, a politician, be responsible for investigating the death of someone else. It doesn't make any sense. I definitely think that the medical examiner system is superior and it's definitely going to get you a more accurate result because you are relying on the expertise of a pathologist that has that board certification and has been through the rigorous training that's needed to understand the human body and the different things that may go into the death of an individual. I also think that we need to make sure that we have enough funding because even in systems that have a medical examiner, a lot of times they are very underfunded. And so they're not able to do their best work because they're working with outdated equipment and they're understaffed. And I think that the third thing we have to do is make sure that medical examiner offices and police departments are entirely two separate things with separate funding, separate staff, and that there's no overlapping because one of the things that we spoke about is how there is this natural conflict of interest. I totally agree. I think that it's clearly a biased system and frankly it's set up to be biased. Like the fact that you would elect a coroner makes no sense to me. Like I don't know if they would really campaign but what would that campaign even look like? It kind of worries me too knowing what type of certifications do these people even have. I think you made a great point of funding and how there needs to be more funding. And who knows, lack of funding or threatening to take away funding, maybe that is also where there is some corruption because it's pretty clear that it's going on. Bami Malik was completely incompetent, which, you know, that could be true, or he was in with the officers and maybe he knew about this drug ring that was going on in the town. I'm sure he probably did, you know, if people were getting murdered from this, if they were in the area when it happened. It's such a mess, and I would really like to see it change. I think this is one of those things that, like, the average person probably wouldn't think about, and you would think you were in safe hands, you know, with the police or medical examiner or coroner. And time and time again, I think it's proven to not be true. So one more thing we wanted to talk about in relation to the Boys on the Tracks case is police drug corruption, whether it's narcotics officers or DEA agents. So according to court records, at least a dozen DEA agents across the country have been criminally charged since 2015 on counts ranging from wire fraud and bribery to selling firearms to drug traffickers. Dell and I agree that number seems kind of low, which is probably due to crimes being underreported or just not discovered yet. In a 1999 study on the North Carolina Narcotics Law Enforcement Officers Association, 76% of the officers reported that they did not trust other narcotics officers with information they had obtained during investigations about drug traders. And over one half of these 194 officers said that they questioned the integrity of the officers. Of the 194 officers who distrusted other officers, over one-third of them questioned the integrity of their top commanders. 26% of the officers said that they often heard that other narcotic officers personally consumed and or sold controlled substances that had been taken from drug traders, abusers, and other officers. 82% of the respondents reported that other narcotic officers had violated due process rights of a drug trader or a drug abuser during an investigation and or while making an arrest. And this is obviously just one state, but 
I think that this is pretty common stuff that narcotics officers are accused of and what they have to face. So we're going to look at two examples of this. The first is Chad Scott. Longtime U.S. Drug Enforcement Administration agent Chad Scott, nicknamed the quote-unquote white devil by drug traffickers, was sentenced to more than 13 years behind bars from stealing money from suspects falsifying governmental records, and committing perjury during a federal trial in November of 2021. The charges stem from an expansive federal investigation into misconduct claims that had surrounded Scott for much of his 17-year career. Scott was previously found guilty and convicted in 2019 for orchestrating a false testimony against a Houston-based drug dealer. Two of his colleagues were also accused of stealing money and drugs and have testified against Scott. The other case we're going to look at is that of corruption within the Philadelphia Narcotics Unit. In 2014, six Philadelphia police narcotics officers were arrested as a part of an ongoing corruption probe and the group was accused of swiping more than a half a million dollars worth of money, drugs, and other items over a period of several years. The officers faced allegations of multiple acts of robbery, extortion, kidnapping, and drug dealing from February 2006 to November 2012. It's alleged that they were routinely robbed the occupants of suspected dealers' cars or homes. Prosecutors estimated the officers took more than $500,000 worth of cash, drugs, and goods, including fancy watches. An officer allegedly dangled a man off a 35th floor balcony in an attempt to steal $79,000 and a designer suit. All six officers were later acquitted. Like Del and I said, we both think that this case is probably not going to ever be solved, but it's such a solvable case. So we wanted to leave you with this quote from Linda Ives. She said, but you have to keep trying. You know that they would like for you to think that this is a case that is just old and complicated and there isn't any way to solve it. But that's not true. That is not true. This case is solvable. That wraps up this week's case. Thank you for listening. Let us know in the comments what you think happened to the boys on the track. You can read more about this case and how to support us in the links below. We will be back next week with a brand new episode focused on the Boston Marathon bombing. As always, stay safe.